0: for a second I'm gonna break up the loving for a second yeah right right listen if I go late it's not gonna be my fault You <laughs> can't blame me if I go late <laughs> that's right it's always the pastor's fault while we don't get done in time y'all need to quit loving on each other and be, be a little more hateful Oh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Can I just say I'm very grateful for all of you that you guys do show love for one another. And uh, I'm grateful as a pastor that that's the truth. I do want to share with you this morning from Ephesians chapter 4. There is unity in the body because of what Christ has done says in Ephesians chapter 4, God says, uh, Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. In the end, we come together and we are unified together, not because of what we have in common apart from God, but specifically because in Christ we have been united together through his grace death. And so we are here this morning as a family that is able to join together to say that there is one place in which we are enriched, one place in which we find our satisfaction, one place we find our joy, and one place we find our unity, and that is in Jesus. There is no other place but through him. And so this morning as we worship, as we sing, let's realize that we are singing our praises and worship to the one who brought us all together from different backgrounds and different upbringings. He's brought us all together as one to give him glory this morning. So would you help me praise the Lord? Right? That's a little beat for me, right? I can just do my little pastor rap for you. I'll do it all. I'll tell you what. I'm telling you what. If you want me to rap it, I'll rap it too. Uh, Jesus is good. He is awesome. Listen, I have not gone down that path yet, but I will. Don't tempt me. I will do my little pastor rap for you. All right. All right. Obviously, I need to pray for us in this moment. <laughs> Isn't God good? Amen. Man, I love having fun with my brothers and sisters. All right, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you have united us together in your son. And Lord, I am thankful that we're all here and we can be joyful. God, we don't have to come in here sour and depressed. We don't have to come in here beat down by the world because, God, we know that through your son, He has overcome the world. So God, we have nothing to fear and we have every reason to be joyful. God, help us to laugh and help us to enjoy the fact that we have been purchased from death into life. And what we're celebrating this morning is nothing less than the resurrection of our souls. God, that we are celebrating nothing less than the fact that you have cleansed us from our sin and given us eternal life. So, God, help us to worship you. God, I pray that Jesus is magnified in this place. And, God, I pray that we will sing our praises to the one true fountain. We ask it all in his name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing. Amen. Thank you, choir. Thank you, Eddie, for leading us. I'm going to ask you to turn this morning in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, as we are walking through this sermon series on the imperfect church. I'm going to try to follow up that wonderful singing. Y'all mind if I roll my sleeves up? Is that all right? Thank you. I don't know what I would have done if you said no. No. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, some of you are going to wonder whether you should have showed up this morning because we're going to talk about something very difficult and maybe not the most pleasant topic for us this morning. But I am a believer in expository preaching. Expository preaching is bringing the word of God and exposing it to you. Laying it down before you and telling you here's the context in which it was written, here are the people it was written to, the point of preaching is to try to get you to what the original audience would have thought and known to be true about what God was sharing with them. One of the ways I do that as a pastor is I will walk you through entire books, going verse by verse through it, not skipping over anything, just taking it in large chunks As you know, we started 1 Corinthians back before Christmas time. We made it in all the way up through chapter 5 and then took a break over the holidays. And now we're back in it into chapter 6. And wouldn't you know it, just a couple of weeks of being back into 1 Corinthians, we are going to come face-to-face with God's teaching on sexual immorality. And for some of you, you're going to go, I'd rather talk about a thousand other things at this moment. But one of the reasons why I believe in expository preaching is because it forces us to walk through texts like this, that we might be prone to jump and skip over because we're kind of uncomfortable with it or because we think we've already got it figured out. You understand what I'm getting at? This is not a text I would normally go, yay, I get to come to you on this morning and tell you about how to use your bodies wisely for God. And yet God's word is filled with teaching on how we are to relate to God in how we use our bodies, especially within the realms of our sexual relationships. And so, if you have children, I apologize. I'm gonna need you to talk to them after the service to answer questions. I'm available to answer questions. I apologize. In the end, I'm going to not be crass with this, I'm not going to be crude with it. I'm just gonna teach you what I believe God's Word says about why sex isn't casual and why it matters. You understand? I need you to love me as we walk through this because it's going to be difficult to walk through. You got me? But I hope that what you love more than anything is God's word. And you love all of God's word, not the cute little parts that you put on Hallmark cards, but you love all of God's word because it teaches you who he is and how we rightly relate to him, do you understand? And how we use our bodies sexually is not a small part of how we honor God. Do you understand? It's a big deal. Amen. So for all the kids in the room, I'm going to handle it as well as I can. If you don't feel like your kids are ready for this, I understand, but I'm not going to get crude or crass with it. I just want to share with you the basic truth of why there is no such thing as casual sex in our culture today. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 I'm going to ask you to stand with me out of honor for God's word this morning, then I'll let you sit down. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 12, going to verse 20. Here's what God's word teaches us. Paul writes and says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask you to help us through this difficult text, a text that makes a lot of our skins crawl, a text that is difficult for us to talk about in public. But God, it is part of your word, and because it's part of your word, it is meant to be taught. And so God, I pray that you will help me to do that. God, I pray that you'll help me to not be crude in the handling of your word. Help me to be respectful. And God, help me to teach your sheep as you would deem necessary. God, use your word to work in our hearts. God, I pray most of all what you will show us is that how we worship you with our bodies matters a great deal. So help God us treat this seriously. And God, give us wisdom. Lord, I pray that you will cause us to be salt and light in a world, God, that is wandering away from you. So Lord, I pray that you'll help us this morning. To your glory, God, I pray you will save people this morning. I pray that you will show them that they cannot earn your acceptance by simply doing good things. That God, simply doing the do's and don'ts from the Bible do not save us. But God, I pray that you will show them that what does save is the finished sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for them. Help them to trust not in their own efforts, but in the finished work of Jesus. And Lord, we ask you to help us to walk in holiness by your power. We ask it all in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. Amen. You can be seated for just a moment. Now, I hope to get some amens later in this sermon, not not people feeling icky, all right? So we're going to walk through this bit by bit. Can I help help connect Corinth to us today? I don't mean Corinth, Mississippi. I mean, can I help connect Corinth of the first century in the Bible to today where we're at? Um, Back in those days in Corinth in the first century, uh, they were very sexually promiscuous. Do you need me to help connect it to today? They, they justified any behavior whatsoever. Do I need to connect that to today? They had a culture that believed do what you want, when you want, however you want. Do I need to connect that? We live in a culture that is exactly in the same spot as 2,000 years ago. <laughs> Which means to me that this is a human condition problem that will exist until Jesus comes back. That until Jesus comes back, we as human beings are naturally going to lean and be prone towards sexual immorality. Justifying any behavior whatsoever because we believe it's right in our own minds. They were immersed in a culture of sexual freedom. You could do whatever you wished. And we're going to see some of that lined out here. But that is the culture that Paul is writing to. It's the culture in which God has saved people and started a church in Corinth out of this group of people who are immersed in this sexual freedom culture. Just so you know, if God can raise up Christians in a church in Corinth, he can do it here. And if God can rescue people from sexual immorality 2,000 years ago, he can rescue people in sexual immorality right now. And in fact... Most of us in this room in some way or some fashion have been sexually immoral to God. In fact, I'll venture to say all of us at some point. And so in the end, this ties us together as the human condition. And it's not a small deal to God. It's actually a very big deal. And I want to show you that. First, I want to show you from verse 12, if you're taking notes and you should take notes, you should always come with a notebook to church and a Bible to church. If you lack either a notebook or a Bible, I need you to see me after church is over. First of all, if you need a notebook, if you go through these doors, right there in the table in the hallway, there are free notebooks that have been given to the church. You can go grab one right now and no one will look at you funny. They will go, wow, they really love their Bible and they want to take notes. But if you need a notebook, they're back there right now. You can go take them. If you don't have a Bible, you need to see me after church because I want to get you one. I don't want anyone to not have a Bible, and I want everyone to have a notebook because I need you to take notes because when you walk out of here, you're not going to remember hardly anything that I'm about to say. And I want you to take away as much as you can before you leave. So number one in your notes, verse 12, we are free in Christ. What Paul shares in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 is we have freedom in Jesus. Aren't you glad? That was pitiful. That was really pitiful for people who, did you understand what I said? You are free in Christ. You, there we go. We're getting into it now. You have been set free from the bondage of sin and slavery to it. Do you understand? In Jesus, what he purchased for you is freedom from bondage to sin. And that is good news. Because everyone in this room, apart from God, is what? In bondage to sin. We are slaves to it. We can't help but lean towards sin in everything we do. And one of the great blessings God has given us in Jesus is that when Jesus died on the cross, he broke the bonds of slavery that we were wrapped up in, and he set us free for him. That's good news, y'all. Notice what he says in verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. He repeats that phrase, all things are lawful. You know what that tells me? Is that must have been something the Corinthians had been boasting about. We are free. We are free. All things are lawful to us. Which is true. In Christ, there is freedom. And yet, Paul says, there may be things that God doesn't specifically say are wrong, but can be made wrong. You understand what I'm talking about? Money isn't wrong in and of itself. Otherwise, you should go home and burn it all. Empty out your bank accounts and burn it. But you don't believe that. You don't believe money is wrong, but the love of money is wrong. Right? To have that as your primary aim. Food is good. Yeah! You know that because you're already thinking about food right now. Food is good, but what's not good? Too much food or loving it too much. That's called gluttony. The same thing Paul is about to show us is true of sex. Did you know sex is not bad? (gasps) Did you know it's not bad? (sighs) But we we talk about it like, oh, don't say that word. I said that word, and some of you are like, ah, your pastor needs to go wash his mouth out. But sex is not bad. It's good unless it's done outside of God's intended design. So God gives sex as a good thing, and yet we as sinful people tend to use it as liberty for our own desires. This is exactly what Corinth was wrapped up in. The Christians in Corinth were still wrapped up in, we're free in Jesus. That means we get to do anything we want. And Paul says, not everything, though it may not be unlawful for me, while it may be lawful for me to do something, it's not necessarily, he says, helpful or advantageous it may be lawful but it could dominate you if you let it get out of control we tend to take God's good gifts and twist them to whatever we wish and here he says that it is possible to be not advantaged in any way or to be dominated by a good thing that becomes sinful seen here in Paul's example of sex And when looking at human behavior in response to what Christ has done for us, there are two extremes we can fall into. The first is legalism, which means uh, I have to do this thing in order for God to love me, right? Becoming all about the do's and don'ts, turning a good gift of God into some do and don't list. And the opposite in the spectrum from legalism is license, doing whatever we wish for our own selfish desires. You get me? We have a tendency to swing between these two sides of the spectrum. Legalism or license? And what seems to have happened in the Corinthian church is they have turned to license. And here's how they do it. First of all, I want to show you from verses 13 through 15 this picture of how they have violated and the erroneous connection they're making about what God says is lawful and what is not. What is for their good and what is not. But here's what I want you to take away from verse 12. In Christ, we have been set free from the fruitless pursuit of self-righteousness, but we are still under the law of Christ. We have not been set free to do whatever we wish. We've been set free to live under the law of Christ, and the law of Christ is to love God and love others. Verse 13 through 15, point number two in your notes is that we are valuable to God. Not only are we free in Christ, but we're also valuable Notice what Paul says in verse 13. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. Do I need to explain that? God gave food for your stomach, and God gave you a stomach so you could eat food. Got it? So both the food and the stomach are good things. God gave them so that you might continue to live day by day. Because if you stop eating, you'll stop living. God gave you food and he gave you a stomach, and you guys are gonna live that out in about 40 minutes, right? You're gonna practice that spiritual truth. God gave me a stomach, God gave me food, food goes into stomach. True. And just so you know, one of the things that they declared freedom from in the Corinthian church was they used to have to be bound by these dietary laws. Remember, the law said that you could and could not eat certain things. Well, in Christ, they're coming to grips with the fact that God says that there's nothing unclean outside of itself, right? Nothing they put in their body is unclean. It's what comes out of the body, not what goes in. And so Paul has been teaching there's freedom in Christ in that it doesn't matter whether something was sacrificed to an idol or not. It doesn't change whether it's beef. It still tastes good because there's no such thing as a false, right? There's no other God. So just because it was offered up, but, they, but the Jewish people said if it's offered up in worship of an idol, you can't eat it. It's unclean. So they had been free in Christ to eat whatever, right? The, 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 the dietary restrictions are not over them. They can eat as they please, God gave stomachs, God gave food, and every time they ate, they're like, look, we just eat, 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 all to the glory of God. Everything we eat, we do for the glory of God, because he set us free. We can eat anything. We do it all for his glory. Now, here's the problem. They try to connect that to their, how they use their bodies as well. Notice what he says, okay? Food is meant for the stomach, the stomach for food. God will destroy both one and the other. That tells us something about stomach and food. They're meant for a temporary period of time. And God will destroy both one and the other, the body. And then he says this, the body is, meant for se- is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So here apparently is what the Corinthians have been doing. They have been living in such a way as to say, since we are free to eat anything, we also must be free to use our bodies for anything. Sounds like perfect logic, doesn't it? We've been set free from dietary laws, so we must be able to use our bodies for whatever we wish. And every time we use our body in freedom, we are giving God glory. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like using God's word to try and justify your behavior. <laughs> and just so you know, we've all been guilty of twisting what God gave us a good gift, and using it for our own selfish desires. Am I alone in that? Because I ain't walking you back through my teenage years. You know what I'm talking about? And I don't want to know nothing about yours either. But we've been guilty of trying to justify any of our behavior and saying, well, we're free in Jesus, so what does it matter? Oh, it matters a lot. Because there's a difference between the stomach and your whole body. And that's exactly what Paul's walking them through. The Corinthians viewed sex as just another appetite. Like hunger for food, it is to be satisfied. In any way you need to satisfy your hunger, you satisfy it. And that would lead them to do things that we look back on today and go, how in the world would you ever justify that? And yet, they'd probably look at us today and go, how? In the world, do you ever justify that? What God teaches here is that the body is not meant for sexual immorality. In fact, He's saying, when we violate, we violate God's purpose in giving us bodies when we sin sexually. God did lovingly and purposefully give food for life and enjoyment, just as God gave the gift of sex. But God makes a distinction between the stomach and the body. The stomach doesn't have the same value as the body has, even though they're trying to connect those two dots. And it's said here the reason why is the way God handles the body. It says God will destroy the stomach and food, but what will he do with the body? What will God do with the body? It's it's in your What's God going to do with the body? Y'all should have this right on the tips of your tongues because it's the only thing you're banking on right now. What's going to happen to the stomach? Because He's going to destroy it. What's going to happen to the body? Difference, right? Stomach destroyed, body is what? Resurrected. Resurrected, which means God has a value on the body that's different than the stomach. And he says not only is it valuable, it's so valuable that what? He rose Jesus from the grave to show that the body mattered. It wasn't just a throw. We aren't just wearing these bodies and we're going to throw them away. We get this idea that we're going to be disembodied like we're just going to be floating around up in the sky. That's not not what being with Jesus is going to be in the end. We're going to be raised. We're going to have new bodies. We're going to have have new bodies that aren't going to die, that aren't going to get a little heavy around the waist. You know what I'm talking about? We're going to have bodies that aren't going to decay. We're going to have new bodies. That tells me God cares about the body. And because he cares about the body, it matters what we do with it. You got me? So we're free in Jesus, but this body is more valuable than what we put on it. We're not just going to chuck it away. God is going to raise us. You'll get that later on today, and you'll go, wow, that's amazing. And then Paul says this. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Oh, no, Paul didn't. Oh, look what Paul did he's gonna up it a notch, right? He's gonna tell us that, we're, that our bodies are valuable and what we do with it matters because he says that our bodies are members of Christ. Here and in verse 19, we're told that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit and members of Christ. We are so valuable and our bodies are so valuable because God has chosen to dwell in us, which is something they never would have thought of in that day because they taught bodies didn't matter. Plato himself taught that what you did in the body didn't matter because all that mattered was the soul. Well, if you don't think the body matters, then guess what you're going to do with the body? Whatever you wish. But God here is teaching something totally radical to them, that the body matters because God gave the body for him, for us to worship him, use this body in such a way as to worship him and he tells us so much so that it's where his holy spirit comes to dwell is in us in these bodies that he dwells with us that these bodies are temples walking around temples cuz God dwells within us not only that but we're members of Christ this is totally different than the pagan thought because they thought God's only dwelled in temples physical temples and shrines Here, Paul teaches, no, God comes to dwell within the bodies of his people whom he rescues. That is radical thinking. That's God coming a little too close for comfort for them. Because the minute you think about the body being the temple of the Holy Spirit, the way you use your body kind of matters now. Because God resides here. So did you know that this Flies in the face of our popular culture even today. That as Christians, God dwells within us. And so what we do with our bodies matters a great deal. It can't be taken casually. And that's the next step, verse 16 and 17. <laughs> Here's a note that you probably never thought you would write down in church as part of a sermon. Point three sex is never casual. Look what he says in verse 16. He says, or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one with her body? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So Paul uses this wording, this one body, this one flesh, and he takes us all the way back to Adam and Eve, and we hear God's words from Genesis 2, 24 that says that the man clinged to his wife and they became one flesh. So what he meant was intimacy between Adam and Eve was so great that they were considered one flesh. And so what they did with their bodies mattered because they were tied together as one. Sex carries with it a unity, not a casualty to it. You understand? It's not a casual thing. There's a uniting that is inherent in sexual relationships. It's never detached from a clinging to another. And so Paul says, why would someone unite their body to a prostitute when we've seen from verse 13 that the body belongs to who? The Lord. And just so you know, the Corinthians were known for this kind of behavior. It seems weird to us, but they, they did it. The Corinthians thought that part of the worship of God was to go to the temple and there would be temple prostitutes. There would be ladies there and they would have sexual relationships with them. As part of worship. We look back on that and go, what? What in the world are you talking about? But in their culture, in their community, this was viewed as normal behavior. And Paul says, God has done something so radical that you could never again join together with a prostitute because you belong to God. Never be unfaithful with another. Never unite with another when you are one with God. Think about that. God loves us so much that he would enter into a relationship with us. We would be his kids. Why would we ever go off and chase after another lover instead of him? And Paul says, in sexual sin, what we do is we bind ourselves to another instead of God. We are unfaithful to him. We are the bride who has wandered away. And verse 17 tells us something truly joyous. We through Christ, are joined to God, and as such, we become one spirit with him. Again, we see the unity that's inherent in God's gift of sex. In a culture that treats sex in such a cavalier way, this would cause Christians to stand out. You know what sets Christians apart from the rest of the world? The way we handle our bodies. And you know what the most controversial thing is in this society? Is when Christians say, I'm gonna be faithful to my wife. I'm going to be married to my wife, and I'm only going to have sex with my wife. That is controversial in today's culture. And that's exactly why God says it's so important. It's because when we value our bodies and we treat them as worship to God, and we are faithful in our relationship to our spouses, and refraining from having sex apart from being in a marriage relationship with our spouses, what we're doing is we're showing them God! And how great he is. And how loving he is to us. How faithful he is to us. How could we ever unite ourselves with some cheap love when we have the love of God? This, this This is God rooting that out. And I don't know about you, but we need it. Because as Christians, we're still prone to fall into these areas. Are we not? Pornography is rampant. And I'm not talking about outside the church. It is rampant right here. Being faithful to your spouse is almost like an old fashioned ideal. You're almost expected to cheat on somebody at some point. We as Christians are able to worship God and show his faithfulness to us in the fact that we are pure with our bodies. We treat God's gift of sex exactly how it's supposed to be treated. Between us and our spouse in loving relationship with each other. And Paul says if you do this, you're gonna stick out like a sore thumb. The rest of the world's gonna look at you and go, You are weirdos. And you say, Yeah, I am. I'm a weirdo because Jesus has rescued me from the depths of my sexual sin and has set me free so I can now use this body in right relationship to Him. So He can actually get glory from that good gift because sex isn't bad. It's how we treat it outside of God's intended purpose in marriage between a husband and a wife. And when we fight for sexual purity in here, we will stand out to the world. They will say something is different about them. And God gets glory from that. And finally, verse 18 through 20, and so you can be done with this message and delete it from your brain and never ever want to talk about it ever again. This is the final point. But listen, there's a reason why God gave it to us. It's because we probably struggle in these areas a lot. Verse 18 through 20, the next point, what what point number am I on? Four, thank you. See, all the people keeping track. Point four, we belong to God. Right? We're free in Christ. We're valuable to God. Sex is never casual because there's always a uniting that takes place. And finally, we belong to God. Look at verse 18. Paul says, Flee from sexual morality. Do I need to parse that any further? Do you understand what Paul's getting at? What do you do when you run up against the possibility of sexual sin? What do you do? You run. You run like Forrest Gump. You run and you keep on running. See, God doesn't handle that in a casual way, does he? He doesn't say, well, you know, try to stand up against it or, you know, put up barriers and guards. No, he says when sexual sin creeps at your door, what do you do? Run. Get out of there, baby. Run. Run. Flee. And just so you know, that's a present imperative. That's a present command, which means you have to keep on running. Tomorrow, you're going to have to wake up and guess what you're going to have to do? Run some more. Because sexual sin is going to be sitting there waiting for you going, you know what, you'll enjoy it, it'll be fine, you'll be good, it's all right, God gave you freedom, go ahead, do it. And you're going to say, no, 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 I got to flee. When you open up your email and that thing pops up and says, hey, click on this, run, sprint out of your office, tell someone to go into your office and delete that for you. I'm kidding, I'm being over the top, but... You run, right? You flee. Paul is giving us a picture here that you don't coddle sin, especially sexual sin. You run. You get out of there. God is so serious about this. That is his command. God says, you know what you do? You get out of there. And you keep on fleeing every time it shows up. And notice how he handles this. He says, or do you not know? Actually, go back to verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Now, this is a weird phrase. It doesn't mean we don't use our body in other sins. Of course, we do. But Paul says that sexual sin is wrong because it's a sin against our own body. Heath Lambert points this out in his book called A Theology of Biblical Counseling. He says our souls actually betray our bodies when impure sexual desires move us to act improperly. You understand, we don't just arrive at sexual action improperly. It starts with a what? A heart issue. Our soul actually betrays our body because our desires say, you know what, you should act upon that. And then our bodies betray our souls because they deteriorate. They decay. So God gave us a soul and he gave us a body and they're supposed to work together to glorify him. But instead, because of sin, our our heart causes us to sin Actively and our body betrays our soul because it starts to die. And this is what makes sexual sin so, so serious. is because he says that you actually sin against your own body. You're actually doing damage to yourself. We see that even in places like 2 Corinthians 4 where we're, where we're told that we are outwardly wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Our physical bodies deteriorate and decay, making it more and more difficult to carry out the desires of our souls. Not only this, but I believe Paul is also pointing out that sexual sin is sin that involves all of a person. Sex is never casual because it involves the whole self. You're never the same. So what we do with our bodies matters greatly because we have been bought by God. Do you see that? Verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Who gave you this gift? God. And then he says this, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Guess who rightfully owns me? God does. Guess who rightfully owns you? God does. You want to know why? Because he gave you a body. It's his. He made it. He owns you. And not only does he own you because he created you, but when he's purchased you through Christ as a Christian, as his child, he owns you because through Christ he has bought you back. Oh, this is good news because we needed to be bought back. You know why? Because we were slaves to sin, right? Someone had to purchase us so that we might be part of his kingdom instead of in the kingdom of darkness. You got what I'm saying? God had to purchase us. How did God see fit to purchase us? Gave his own son on the cross. Did it matter to God? Was it important to God? Did God give up the most costly thing he possibly could on the cross? He gave up his own son. What else could God give to rescue you and me? You know why God owned you? Because he bought you with his own son. That's how much he loves me and you, is he would buy us through Christ and his death on the cross, that we might be forgiven of our sin. And realizing the price Jesus paid and the immense love of God and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, how could we not rightly dedicate these bodies in service to God and saying, God, I'm not going to give over to fake love. I'm going to serve you with my body. I'm going to be pure sexually because you're worth it, God, because you're faithful to me. And need I remind you, can I share this with you and then I'm done. There is a prophet by the name of Hosea. Has anybody ever heard of the prophet Hosea before? It's in the Bible. There's a prophet named Hosea. And God tells him he's going to marry a woman named Gomer. And Gomer, we're going to be told, whether it was before she met him or after she's married to him, Gomer is going to cheat on him. And she's going to run after other lovers. And God says, Hosea, you're going to marry this woman who is going to cheat on you, is going to be unfaithful to you. All the gifts you have given her, she's going to go take and use to woo other lovers. Listen, there are a lot of things that hurt in this life. But I can't think of anything that would hurt more than to have my spouse cheat on me. And if that has happened to you, I'm sorry. I don't understand the depths of the hurt of that. But I want you to know that God loves you. If you have strayed and cheated on your spouse, I want you to know that grace is available. You can be forgiven through Christ. And I mean completely forgiven. But God uses this picture of a marriage relationship and the unfaithfulness within it to tell the story of how we relate to him. Because God is telling us he's the faithful husband and he's given us all these gifts as his bride. And what did we do with his gifts? We chased after other lovers with him. We cheated on God. And I don't know about you, but it'd be hard to forgive someone who did that. Wouldn't it? And yet, what does God say in the book of Hosea that he's going to do? He says he's going to strip her down, take back all the gifts he gave her, and he's going to woo her back to himself. He's going to go into the desert, and he's going to find his bride who has been unfaithful to him, and he's going to bring her back. And he says, you're my wife. You're my wife. God gives us that picture. You know why? Because that's us. We have strayed from God. And sexual sin is just one of the ways we've done that. We've strayed from God. But guess what God has done through Christ? He's wooed us back. He said, you're mine. He said, you're mine. You're my bride. You're my bride. Guess what Hosea had to do to get his wife back? He had to pay. Because his wife went into debt with other lovers, and so guess what Hosea had to do? He had to pay up. He had to buy her from her debts. The God who says that we use this body in worship of him and so we should take sexual sin very seriously and flee from it is the same God who says, despite all of your sin, I have bought you back. He says, I've paid the price for you. And it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter how badly you've messed up. It doesn't matter how deep that sin goes. In Christ, we are purchased back, and we are his again. The faithful husband beckons us to come back because he's paid all that's necessary to free us from our debt to sin. You got me? Is that not a great picture of grace and love? of God, that he wouldn't, because we're all marked up, right? We're all sinful. We're all dirty. But guess what God did? Bought us back by his love through his son. So how do we want to walk away? Here's what I want you to take away. There is forgiveness available to each of us through Christ, no matter how sinful we've been. You cannot sit here this morning and say, I have been too sinful. God could never forgive me. Bogus. He has saved us in this room. And if he saved us, he can save you because we're just as dirty as the vilest sinner. We can stand with Paul and echo, we are the chief of sinners. And if he forgave us, God can forgive you too. So I don't care what your sin is, I don't care how checkered your background is, if you trust in Christ, you are bought back. And you are forgiven of your sin. Also, number two, what we do with our bodies as Christians matters a great deal. God has purposefully given us a body to worship and glorify Him with. Our bodies do matter. They're not just throwaways, they are that what we do with this expresses to a lost world what we feel about God. Number three, we need to guard our hearts and flee sexual immorality. We need to guard each other and help each other walk in holiness before God, not so he will accept us, but because he already has accepted us. So we help each other guard our hearts. What we do is we say, whoa, brother, you're going down the wrong path. Or whoa, sister, you're walking down the wrong path. When we see something in our lives that doesn't look like Jesus, we help each other by saying, that doesn't look like him. We guard one another because like we sang earlier today, and brother, I'm telling you, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing is probably my favorite song in the entire world. Because in that, you see the picture of what it means to be a Christian, don't you? Because he says in those words, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to what? Leave the God I love. That's Even as Christians, we sing that song because we say we're still prone to wander into the arms of other lovers. And instead, we want God to guard us. Bind us to him like a fetter, that we would not wander away from him, but we would cling to him. And so as Christians, what we do for one another is we guard each other. If we see one of us walking towards sexual sin, we say, no, don't go. And we forgive one another, and we encourage one another to live for Christ in holiness because we can in Jesus. And then finally, it's only through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that we can be saved and honor God in our bodies. By the grace of God, He has created us with purpose, given us His only Son, and caused His Spirit to dwell within us. You have the Trinity, all part of the rescue of His people. And if God cared that much, guess what He deserves? All the praise in the world. Because in this room are people who used to be marked by all kinds of filthiness. And instead, we were what? We were washed by God. We were bought back. Oh, the grace of God that he would rescue sinners like us. And I don't know about you, but he deserves nothing less than every bit of our devotion to him. Let's stop chasing other lovers and let's rest in the arms of our groom, our king, our savior. Would you pray with me? Lord, I ask you to help us through this difficult topic. God, I ask you to help us to walk through these verses that can be very challenging But, God, you do take seriously how we treat our bodies. God, you do care about our sexual purity. And so, God, I pray that in this room, God, you will help us to cling to you, not to other lovers. God, that we would honor you in what we do with our bodies. That they are not insignificant, but, God, you have plans for this body. And, God, because you raised up Jesus, you tell us that you're also going to raise us as well as your people. And so, God, may we live every day seriously. When we encounter the desire to sin sexually, God, I pray that you will cause us to run and flee from anything that doesn't look like Jesus. And, God, I pray that you will guard us specifically in this area because, God, I know that we are prone to wander most in this area. And God, the world does not look like you. When it comes to sexual purity, God, they know nothing of what your word says or modeling what you teach. And so God, I pray that as Christians, we would be on the front lines of not just telling people how to live in holiness, but showing them how to walk in holiness through what Jesus has done for us. So God, guard our hearts. Guard us. God, I pray for people in this room who are trying to earn salvation with you. They're trying to earn your acceptance God, I pray what you'll show them is they cannot and should not try to earn your acceptance because, God, you've already given it. You've already given it when you put your son up on the cross. Your word tells us that you demonstrated your love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God, I thank you that you have rescued me from the treadmill of self-righteousness, of trying to earn favor, allowing me to rest at your feet, knowing that I have been purchased by the blood of Christ. I have everything I need, including the power to say no to sin and to flee from sexual morality. God, may we as a people model your holiness. Oh God, we are thankful that you have set us free as Christians from the bondage to sin. We are no longer slaves of sin. We are slaves of Jesus. We are submitting ourselves to you and asking you, Lord, to receive honor and glory from everything we do. God I pray that this morning if there's someone here who needs to trust in you, God, I pray they will. If they need to trust in you for salvation, I pray they'll stop looking to their own efforts and look to Christ. God maybe there's Christians in this room who have been burdened by sexual sin. And God, they just don't feel they've ever been forgiven. God, I pray that you will lead them to pray in their seats or up front. God, that you would just cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. And God, I pray that as a church, we will fight for sexual purity. As a church, God, you would work among us to cleanse us, and to cause us to walk in holiness. And God, you have given us all we need. You have loved us. You have saved us. You show that we're valuable. God, we have freedom in you. God, we we have every reason, God, to sing your praises. May we do so in this moment. Help us, God, to give you the love you deserve. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.